Hi everybody, welcome back to You're Wrong, I'm Right with your host, Cameron, and my two friends, uh, Bodie and Robbie. Uh, today's episode is going to be on Ari Aster's film, Midsummer, um, and yeah, that's about it. That's all I really want to say about it. <laughs> Bodie, I think um, before you get into the movie, I think it's kind of important we kind of talk about our history with it beforehand. Yes. Think, I don't. I don't know what history to talk about about this film unless you want to explain it. Yeah, I guess I can. Um, I think we can all agree we're pretty big fans of Hereditary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, in you know, last year, I asked her. Said, "No, I'm making a new movie. The trailers were great. We we all saw it. it was it opening night? We saw it basically. Yes, I think yeah. we all saw it opening yeah, night. It, it was all of us along with TJ." And we all kind of walked out having the same response of what the fuck did we just watch? And I thought it would have been an interesting take to see how our opinions have shifted and changed with it being almost a year since we saw it. I think that's that's pretty fair introduction. I would say that is, yeah. All right. Um... So, I will go first, because I have a lot to talk about. I just gotta get my fucking notes out. So, I've seen this movie three times now. Um, And each time I watch it, I'm always thoroughly impressed with, uh, by, by just everything about the film. Um, I think... I think Ari Aster did a very good job at tackling the the really the core main theme of this film, which is um, really it's gaslighting and manipulation and everything else that kind of occurs in the film sort of just feeds into that theme of gaslighting. So everything that occurs like, you know, one of the very first events that occur in the film is uh, Florence Pugh's character. Uh, I can't fucking remember her name. Um, Danny, you dumbass. Danny. Um, her sister sends her like a very creepy uh, email, just like being like, "I'm so sad. Mom and dad are coming too. Bye bye." And you know she's stressed because she has no idea what what the fuck she's planning. You know she's incredibly. Um, She's she's emotionally unstable because of her bipolar disorder, so her she's very she's very concerned, and she calls up her boyfriend and almost immediately within that one singular frame, this this whole one take of her on the phone with um with her boyfriend Christian played by Jack Rayner, um who does a f- f- fucking fantastic job, Mister Transformers Age of Ultron. Australian dude who comes in and just kicks everybody's ass in this film. He does such a great job in it, along with Florence Pooh. Florence Pooh really steals the show. Um, but that's besides the point. Um, the first scene when I watched it in the theater, I like instantly knew what Ari Aster was tackling. And throughout that entire viewing process, it influenced all the things that I was noticing with the different characters. So everybody from 
Christian to um, Pella and everybody in the town, you know, everybody's just sort of, and they all do it with such a very, with a smile and like very, very sincerely, but everybody is there just manipulating the shit out of one another. And it's super, super creepy. I know a lot of people complained about how this film wasn't as scary as Hereditary. And yeah, it's literally, it's not really a horror film, like, whatsoever. It's a very well done, um, I don't know if I would even call it a thriller. Would this be considered a thriller? Psychological. I see yeah. this as a, as a dark folk tear. Yeah, I think very loose yeah. on the folk tear, but like a very, it's a very dark, it's definitely a very dark drama. And... You know, everything that just sort of, everything just sort of feeds into this, this really, in my opinion, interesting story. Um, you know, there's, there's the typical uh, Ari Aster trademarks of pretty visuals, very symmetrical shots sometimes, well, well-organized production design. Um, I'm very upset that this film didn't get a nomination for production design. Um, this film and Uncut Gems got hella snubbed, um, and that's very unfortunate. Um, the transitions are really well done. Um, Ari Aster has a very tight knowledge on the visual medium, um, as well as just being a very good director with his actors. Um, Florence Plew especially, she kind of boomed from this year. You have, like, those actors that sort of starts off, like, they start a film one year, and they sort of, like, each year they sort of progress. It's, like, the next bigger thing. With Florence Pugh, it's, like, it goes from, she stars in um that wrestling film in, like, January or February, Fighting with For My Family or whatever, that biopic. And then a few months later, Midsummer comes out. And everybody sees that and loves her in that. And then after that, um, everybody sees her in Little Woman, which got her an Oscar nomination. So 2019 was just like one big, just like, like her, her career just like projected up in the span of a single year. And now that she's going to be in a comic book movie with Black Widow that comes out this November... It's just, like, she went from from very, like, like, she was known, but then she just, like, became an overnight success, literally. And I'm very happy about that, because Florence Pugh is such an amazing actress and just a really fun person to watch. Um, yeah, I those are kind of just my initial talkings. Um, I'm, I'm less coherent right now than I, I hope to. Because I'm just kind of just reading off of my notes and we'll probably speak more when we all just discuss together. Um, sort of kind of go more into detail about what we liked and didn't like. But yeah, I mean, I, I think this movie was really good. I think I like it more than... I, I see why people wouldn't like it. Um, it's a very... It's a very it's, you have to be in a very specific mood to watch it. Um, in the same way Hereditary, you kind of have to watch it and be in a very specific mood just because by the end of it, everybody loses. And it's a very 
dreary sort of thing to to witness so i don't know for me i think midsummer is a fantastic fantastic film i hesitate to say it is a classic but it definitely is something everybody should watch at least once and okay. whoever wants to talk next can go next i'll go um I'm not in the boat of saying Midsommar was fantastic. Um, the thing I will say, I've seen this movie... Okay, so with, with me, I saw it for the first time with you guys. And then, like, maybe close to two weeks, I saw it again in the theater, because I just I couldn't stop thinking about everything, because there's just so much going on. So many different themes and visuals that, oh, yes, yeah, just kind of hits you with. And it's just a lot to digest and one viewing so i watched it on, i don't know probably like two weeks ago at this point with my sister for the first time and the thing that really impressed uh, obviously the technical aspects like the cinematography was overlooked at the oscars this the, yeah. e the editing transition as you mentioned are fantastic really clever production design all of that's great what really it comes down to is Ari Aster has such a distinct vision and such a distinct style that doesn't come off as someone who's trying to be bigger than they are. Because Hereditary had a very distinct looking, it's a very distinct looking movie that had also amazing cinematography. And Midsommar is essentially that once again. It's just so immaculately made and so well put together. And it's so easy for a director when making a sophomore film to just do the same exact thing again. And mm. I love Ariyasu took the chance to make something so far outside the wheelhouse of what Hereditary was. Like you mentioned Midsommar doesn't feel like a horror movie. I don't think Hereditary feels like a horror movie. Hereditary feels like it's just a really fucked up dark family drama with some supernatural aspects to it that just add that a little bit of icing on the cake. And with Midsommar, it has that incredible visual style. And I, this is a, this is a tough movie to talk about in a lot of ways because there's a lot I like about this movie and there's some stuff that do bother me a bit and we'll get into the negatives in a little bit, but I do think this movie does suffer from what I've called the up effect to where the opening, I can't, opening 11 minutes before the title drop is a 10 out of 10 film. Like, Florence Pugh's performance, I think, was overlooked at the Academy Awards. I think her and Adam Sandler gave the two best performances of 2019, hands down, without a doubt. She is so captivating and so vulnerable in this movie, and I buy her every moment from... She, it, she, her whales. Her, her, her whales in the beginning, Jesus Christ. Like, if you're a lead female in an Ari Aster film, you know you're going to have to act your fucking ass off. And she does that to a T. She's able to go to so many different motions and just once in one scene with a flick of a finger. It's The work she does in this movie is out is outstanding. And I wish she got more recognition for this certain performance. All the supporting actors are great, like Jack Rayner. Will Poulter, who I normally don't like, I think is really funny and is so good at playing the douchebag in this movie. Oh yeah, he was fucking hilarious in here. He is. And 
So we have the first 11 minutes, which I think is like a 10 out of 10 thing. And then the movie progresses and it turns into a different movie than what I would expect it to be. I think Midsummer for the first hour is close to a 10 out of 10 film for me. As the movie progresses, it does, it definitely, you definitely feel the length of it. It's, it's a two and a half hour film that does not need to be two and a half hours long. The like last, like, third act is basically, like, 50 minutes. It feels from, like, like the, it at times. But the from, thing... Like, the f- Sorry, go right ahead. The thing that... A movie can be slow. And if the movie doesn't have a good payoff, then there's no point. And with Midsummer, the payoffs are disturbing. Like, Hereditary frightened and terrified me. This movie, this has some of the best horror imagery in recent memory. Whether you're talking about the way the sister commits suicide with the face she has with the pipe in her mouth. And my my sister pointed this out. Her one eye going completely um, white and then her having duct tape around her mouth because she was vomiting the entire time. Like, Ariasa projects horrifying images. And then the more you think about them... And the way they happen, just the stuff you don't see is what gets under my skin. And this movie is filled with a lot of horrific imagery that will never leave my memory. And despite the fact it does take a while to get there, like they're pretty spread out apart. When you get there though, it is so worth it. And this movie has one of my favorite ending shots of any movie in recent memory with Florence Mm -hmm. Pugh smiling. Just yeah, the pure buddy. insanity as her mind just completely snaps. This movie got under my skin in all the right ways. And even though it definitely is too long for its own good, I think the positives far outweigh the negatives. Perfect. I agree. Agree 100%. So, it's your turn, Cameron. What did you think about Midsummer? And that's where <clears> I'm going to leave off for now. Well, um, it had, like Robbie said, an amazing opening. Like, that first 11 minutes is absolutely a 10 out of 10. Like, blows me away every time I've watched it. I have not, this is only the second time of me watching Midsummer. I haven't watched it since theaters. Um, but I have gone back and watched on YouTube just the opening, like, many times just because of how good it is. Um,. The acting, as was already said as well, phenomenal, overlooked. Um, it was beautifully shot, just absolute masterpiece in how it looks. And the score, none of you guys mm. talked about the score. Yeah. Ooh, the yeah. score is incredible. And it keeps, like, the score itself, just how it will be going, 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 and then it will cut off. And it's like, at some points you don't even notice that it's stopped, and but others you, you do, and it just adds to the tension. It really really good it's just a shame that this movie just drags its nuts across your forehead so <laughs> slowly and you're just like god damn it let's get a move on like I get it I get it I really do but like so much of the shit can just be like trimmed up a little bit like it's a two and a half hour movie that felt like I just sat there for five hours and it just doesn't end like it's 
it's painfully how long it just takes and how drawn out it is. And the ending, Robbie, you said you loved it. Well, you loved the ending shot. I, the third act was just like, all right, let's get it over with for me. It was just like, and then how it ended, I was just like, what? Um, all right, whatever. Ari Aster trying to get all fucking art housey with us and <laughs> all that bullshit. It's like, oh, you, you gotta, you gotta look in the background of all the shots leading up to. It. It's like, fuck you, no. <laughs> I'm not gonna interpret some some gibbery ash ass Swedish language that apparently means shit. It's like, no, it's dumb. I don't like it. It's boring. I like. I wish I could just watch the first 11 minutes and turn it off and been like, yeah, yeah, that's good. It's a good movie. But, I mean, yeah, the consistencies are the acting and the cinematography and the score. Like, they're great throughout the whole movie, but they're, to me, it's just, it, they're, it's, it just seems like they're just, they're just going, I don't know, it just, it all just leads up to, like, for me, almost nothing. It's like, Okay, I don't understand why any of this is happening at all. I, uh, I just, it, it's a movie that when I first watched it, I saw that first eleven minutes and I was like, oh shit, we're about to be in for a ride. And then the movie, it, another name for this movie could be Blue Balls the movie. Can I just say that? <laughs> it leads you on to thinking shit's about to hit the fan. And then shit does not hit the fan. And then it leads you up again. Shit's about to hit the fan? Ah, no, back to normal. Yeah, but shit no, absolutely well, does hit the fan multiple times. Yeah, but it's like, I think the point is that you're you're constantly, you're constantly on edge because you have no idea when something's about to happen. And I agree about yeah, but the... but they did it too many times. I agree about... To the point where I just didn't care anymore. I agree about the pacing, though, especially the third act. The third act fucking drags yeah the third act is like a good from like the final ceremony when they're around the the fucking spire and they're all doing the dance and florence Pooh is oh participating the may queen dance could have been cut up so i absolutely much more. Like, that disagree. went on for way too absolutely fucking long disagree. oh my god i think everything after the may queen just yes. kind of goes on way too long the dance itself i think is is really that that was really well done, um, but holy shit, it's still like that third act is literally like forty fucking minutes long. If anything, they could have they could have cut, they could have trimmed a lot of stuff after it, like the whole the um, the banquet when when Christian is is literally fucking eats get, pube pie. No, that, well, that was before. Um, when when he's when he's forced to to have sex with the uh, oh, oh with the yeah, redhead after yeah that that sequence is, goes on for a fucking long time too. Holy yeah. shit! And I kind of get it. Like the these are these are all criticisms that I do that I do um, notice. I get why Ari Aster did this because. The longer you kind of drag on something and to hold something on, the more awkward it is. So the audience becomes more uncomfortable, which is the whole point of this film, is that it's supposed to make you uncomfortable. I mean... But you also don't want to make them bored, because I just got bored. 
because I was waiting so long. See, for me, I couldn't get bored because Arias has such... Like, this is a director's film. Like, you have something where I'll watch and be like, oh, that's just a studio. Like, for me, like, most modern-day horror just feels like thrown-together studio films that just, they throw in the movie theater, they'll get a couple bucks out of it, and that's the end of it. Well, Ari Aster just has such a distinct vision. Like, every single shot is so meticulously planned. Every aspect to a scene is just so well planned out that it's almost hypnotizing to watch these scenes go on as long as they do at times. It, it will, Ari Aster with this film reminded me a lot of Stanley Kubrick with 2001. Scenes go on for a significant amount of time, and it almost becomes hypnotic it to a point. Especially it becomes very atmospheric. Very atmospheric, and um, I was going to say something else, and then I, I can't think of it now. And then I really interrupted. I'm sorry. You you did because I, I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> Shit. It'll come back to me. I digress. But I mean, yeah. Ultimately, my biggest problem was pacing and blue balling. I think they they tried to get a rise out of everybody like maybe one or two too many times to the point where I was like, alright, well when it finally does snap and shit goes down like in the ending, I'm just gonna be like, alright. Okay, here it is. what are these blue happened. ball moments for you? Um, After the suicide like, not the suicide, the old people jumping off the cliff Mm-hmm. They jump off the cliff and they're freaking out then and there, and then they kind of go back to the village. And the two British people are just like, "Nah, fuck this, I'm out of here." But everybody else is just like, "Oh, it's just, you know, it's part of their culture." And then Danny's freaking out a little bit, but like most everybody else is just like, "Nah, it's their thing." It's like what? And then they just live on life without really recognizing that happened again. Well, so and yes and no. Nothing happens of it. Well, no, it does. Like that's that moment is such a drastic measure towards Danny's ultimate character arc because after that moment happened she has to talk with Pell and he tells her you know this is my family now I had parents who died long ago in like horrific ways and Danny having to witness this is how they do it in their culture helps her swing emotionally more towards the cult than towards Christian because the entire film she's heavily leaning on him as a crutch unfairly too unfairly as a crutch and after the big suicide moment happens, and she processes how other people perceive, you know, process death, it allows her to slowly move away from him. Pella also, this is another case of, in, in my interpretation, Pella also um, manipulating um, Denny in, in a better way than any of the other characters would um, because she, he's really, he's really pulling at her strings and showing a lot of sympathy towards her and giving her, you know, the illusion of, of this power of like, look, Christian, like, I know you're dating Christian, but have you noticed that he doesn't really give a shit about you? Like for real? And that sort of influences, that's, like Robbie said, that conversation sort of changes her entire viewpoint and her entire arc in the film because she slowly starts to come to terms with society, with with this little group of of this little society here, 
Um, and then eventually when she becomes the May Queen and is fully integrated into their their society where she has no family, all of her friends have been murdered, basically, or quote-unquote friends. It's really Christian's group of, of homies that all get yeeted. Um, and, the, and none so, of them liked her either. They didn't yeah. want her to go. And she, she was aware like, of it the entire time. Yeah, exactly. So that's like her, not, well, it's not her that causes it, but like she's essentially been reborn into this new culture that she's going to live in and experience more of these type of events happen. But again, it's the same way of like how she was consistently gaslit by Christian into thinking a certain way. This is the same case here where she's manipulated into getting acclimated into the cult. And I found that to be really, really interesting how they did that. Um, so, yeah. I don't... Can I also bring up one more thing? Yeah, go right ahead. What was the point of the inbred child? Absolutely nothing. Like, they make a point that they, when Danny is tripping on her mushroom tea, she runs into that little outhouse thing, she lights the candle or the match or whatever, and you see the little inbred thing behind her for like half a second, she freaks out and runs out. That was not that, that was her sister, dude. It was? That was her sister with that pipe in its mouth. I thought it was the inbred thing. No, the the inbred thing doesn't really add up to anything other than it needed to be... That was Ari Aster just being like, it needed to be more fucked up than yeah. it already was. What which is it was fucked up? <laughs> like, the fact that they're just like, right, we're f- Well, yeah, but like, they're just like, ah, inbreeding. They don't like make it like a big point. They're just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, cause it's just because it's just natural in the culture. That's, that's the point. The same way that they just literally. But they, why even fucking have it? Like, it didn't. Look, the, Cameron. The shit that I had already seen up to that point, inbreeding was on the lower list of the stuff that I was like, oh, that's fucked up. Look, Cameron. Like, I was like, yeah, I believe it. We're not. But dis- like, the, what was the point of that character even being a thing? I don't get it. Look, we're not disagreeing with you. We think that's stupid, too. But we're just saying. Leave <laughs> off a whole other two hours in the movie just getting into that character. <laughs> At least that's what it feels like. Speaking of those of the characters, so um, this is this is kind of a tangent that I want to go on, but I feel like audience oh, members should. So you know the old dude that steps off and is the first or the second one to jump off, yeah, of the uh, of the hill and ends up getting his his head smashed in with a hammer. Mm-hmm. So the actor um, Bjorn Anderson. He is a Swedish, obviously he's from Sweden, um, but he starred in a film, which I believe is Death in Venice. And is everybody familiar with the term Bishonin? So no. this is, this is I, I literally, when I found this out, I was like so fascinated, even though I don't give a shit about this type of culture. But in Japan, it's used a lot for drawing characters like young a lot of male characters really young and beautiful because when the Japanese saw Death in Venice, they saw him in that film. And at the time he was very young 
And they're like, wow, he's so fucking beautiful and shit. So literally, Bjorn Anderson started an entire, like, subculture in Japan of people just drawing, Jap- like, characters in in this in this type of form of Baishinen. Which I was like, wow, that's so fucking rad. And I was like, wow, I, I felt like audience members needed to hear about that. So that's my tangent over. <laughs> Another thing that I think, oh yeah, so because the dude is the one that fucking falls off the cliff, Cameron. Did you not How just does that hear? Correlate to Japanese people drawing him from the... a different movie. Because it's related to this movie. Because he's in the fucking movie. He's the one that jumps off the damn cliff. <laughs> that was a really weird short shoehorn fact. It was an interesting one, but it was weirdly shoehorned in there. You're gonna I fu- thought it, you were gonna tie it to the movie somehow. No, I, nope. like, I did tie it to the movie somehow. Because... Oh, then oh, because the guy was in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just salty because I had to watch this fucking movie again, alright? <laughs> I think another thing that that's just really impressive about really Ariasa films in general is that the dude is such a good blocker. Like, there are so oh many one-takes that go on that just feel so natural and so... Inv- it's not like you're watching an Alfonso Cuaron movie to where it's very purposely flashy or you're watching 1917 Mm -hmm. and it's the biggest fucking gimmick ever made. It's just so... Everything just progresses so naturally and it almost feels like you're watching a play at times. The the camera blocking... The camera blocking was really, really good in here. And some of the transitions are really, really solid too. Um... Especially the transition from when they're in the apartment, his friends, uh, Christian's friend's apartment in the beginning. Into the airplane. Into the airplane bathroom. That transition was so cool. And even like the transition that, that won her when she, right after that, when she sits back down in the plane and the, the camera pushes in and then outside of the plane and just starts shaking. I thought that was a really cool transition one of my which then transitions into them in the car, which is which is a little less flashy, but still kind of a good editorial transition. But Robbie, the one the thing that you said, uh, how it felt like a play almost, was literally it's like you were reading my mind. That was the next thing I was gonna say, and the thing that I liked about it is like every set piece that they had, just by the blocking and the camera, like how they utilized where the camera sat in the room, like everything like all every set piece like where they weren't just outside if they were in an apartment or on the airplane or whatever it felt like a a stage built set like it didn't feel Mm. like it was an actual apartment or something like that and i really kind of dug that like it was such a really cool like thing to watch because i mean i like going to see plays like plays actually interest me a good deal yeah um and so it kind of just like I don't know, it made me think I was watching a play for, like, some of the scenes. I'm just like, wow, this is, like... I love... I just, I really love it. And I think what plays into it a lot is how you never see outside the windows. Yep. Every window has Mm. a light blasting through it, because they probably were shooting on a soundstage. Um, But I, it just, because of that, I think it, that played into the effect of making it feel like a play. I love the way Ariasa places mirrors in this film, too. Yes. Like the moment yeah. Danny finds out Christian's going, I, I broke down this scene because I, I just loved it so much that how she, she finds out he's going to um, 
to, to Sweden and they go back to her place and the mirror is just placed so perfectly to where you can sit in the chair and we can just go back and forth between where Florence Pugh is standing versus where he's sitting and then when he goes to hang out with all his friends afterwards yeah. and Florence Pugh is able to just stand in the middle of the room that big ass mirror like oh the, my god yeah the way he blocks actors and the way they, it's such oh god this man is brilliant I would honestly love to see a play directed by him just because of the fucking direction and his blocking. Like, I, I was watching, like, yeah, interviews right. and stuff, and I think it was Walt Poulter said that... Walt Poulter and the DP, whose name I cannot pronounce, because... Powell... Potato, potato. They said that Ari Aster has, like... When he writes a script, he's so vivid in detail with what he wants to the DP set that he gets on set and he knows exactly what he needs to do and it has to be done exactly in this way. And Will Poulter said that with actors' performances, they have to have the same sort of um, body language and like body posture. It's, and they said they were talking about how they have to stand a certain way and there was fun trying to make it their own while well, just not feeling like oh yeah so it's completely taking over the performance i just thought that was so fascinating listening to them talk about how he kind of directed the sequences and the actors and shit that's really impressive holy shit yeah. oh yeah so thank you for existing i think there's a couple of there's a couple of other things that i wanted to point out these are kind of like nitpicks this one big um, one i want to talk about i there are a couple of moments that i didn't that i felt could have been handled better there's a lot of times where ari aster will shoot telephoto and it'll be focused on the characters and it's 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 like an awkward it's sort of awkward because they're all talking in a telephoto, but they're all off in the distance. Um, a good example is um, they are all they're all about to head towards the the mountain with the with the two suicides off the cliff, and the transition from that, everybody's getting up in the foreground, and our leads are in the background, and you just hear like, obviously like just ADR or like wild takes of Will Porter going like, all right, I'm beat. I'm just gonna go head off. And it was like, all right, okay, we'll see you later. And then cuts to the next scene. Um, those I didn't really enjoy too much just because they're a little bit half-assed. Um, but that gets just like a nitpick in like how I prefer to view things. Um, oh, yeah, they also had they also used a fucking reverse optical lens on a lot of shots, too. I can't remember which one specifically, um, but those looked really fucking good. Um, and then I think, I think Rob, I think, I think I'm just, I'm about to mention something that Robbie might start talking about. Um, there's this subplot in the film where they're doing this like report on the town's people and it's kind of, it's it's not as well handled as it could have been, I felt. The purpose of it makes sense because they're all there doing this report 
And the whole reason is that they're going there to do this report. And Pella and the entire town eventually just eats all of their friends anyhow for this sacrifice. Um, but there's like the things around it could have been handled a little bit better. Especially when like you have Christian who just up and decides to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to do my report on this town too. When the other dude, I think John or Josh, whatever the fuck his name is. When Josh just like, no, fuck you. This is my project. Can I interrupt you, need you for to back one moment, Bodhi? Yeah, go right ahead. Could you just sum up exactly what you just said? Because I didn't hear anything for like a solid two minutes. Huh? My internet is Galbo, and I like missed everything you were talking for the past like two minutes. I'm talking about the subplot with Josh and Christian okay, and the thank you. report. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that thing's yeah. trash. <laughs> it could have been handled a little bit better in my honest opinion um see the thing for me that bothers me about that subplot is it's just basically there to kill josh and i think a missed opportunity about midsummer is the fact that you have this really interesting relationship dynamic with the gaslighting and christian mm-hmm. is an absolute dick like completely unlikable in this entire movie and something I wish the movie did was not make it as one-sided. Because they even mention in, in the beginning that Danny feels like she's being, that she's using Christian as a crutch. Which, in all, fa- on all fairness, is unfair to him. So I wish they explored the relationship more with how, sh- how they're toxic for each other, rather than how Christian is only toxic towards her. Yeah, it is, it is very one-sided. Um, and I get Ariasa was going through a breakup when he wrote this, so he was probably really pissed off when he did it. But I think it would have been a far more interesting take on how, instead of just seeing one side of it, we got to see both sides. Especially with how, at about the midpoint, they begin to separate and they have less scenes together. It would have been even more impactful when they did begin to drift off. Yeah, totally. I think I think all of basically everything that you just said, Robbie, because um, it is very one sided, and unfortunately, that's just how it's written. Because it's sort of like within the first eleven minutes, Christian is is given this opportunity to be like, "All right, I should probably call it off with her sometime soon." And then, when her entire family dies, he's kind of not able to because he needs to be there for her emotionally because literally he's all that she has left at this point so now he's kind of stuck in this crutch and the other thing i want to mention and maybe this is a little political but this did bother me it's the um the awkward sex scene with christian and the woman if the roles were reversed in this film and danny was the one who had the spell on her this movie would have so much controversy of how Florence Pugh was raped in this movie, but because it's a dude, it had no controversy whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. It's completely... Like, again, it doesn't bother me because I think true horror comes in the fact that this horrific thing is happening, and it is weirdly dark, darkly comedic to where I can't laugh at it, but I, 
it, it just bothers me that if the roles were reversed, this scene would have been, this movie would have had so much shit going against it. This is like the second time that Ari Aster has tackled a story with rape in it that has, that's geared with, that's geared with the male Oh, that's right. Yeah, his short film he did. Yeah, because that short film is, is, is all about reverse rape. Um, yeah. Keeping up with the Johnsons. And I that film so up. fucked up. Yeah, holy shit. And that also is, like, weirdly... Like, there's certain points in there that's also, like... It's, like, weirdly uncomfortable. And, like, if you interpret it wrong, it could also be sort of, like, uncomfortably funny. Like, huh? But then it's like, oh, shit, no. This is really, really dark and serious. And, like, this is kind of fucked up. Like, this... Like, Midsommar has certain... Especially with the moment between Christian and the redhead. I feel like Arias is doing it. And that he's just sitting in Video Village... Winking at the camera, like, yeah, I know, I, I know what I'm doing, guys. You, you gotta, you gotta sit through this. I want you to feel as comfortable as you, as, as you can because I want to do this to you. I, it feels like he's almost trolling us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's but, kind of him, though. He's such a fucking troll in real life, yeah. though. Do we want to do our final thoughts now? I think so. I, I think yeah. we all covered the majority of our our points here um yeah i mean i i get a lot of the criticisms that all of us have sort of shared between one another there's definitely things in it that could be much more polished up that said i think the the good things in this film for me outweigh the flaws in this film um cuz i think the themes and the characters and the acting and the 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 design the whole design of the film itself from the production design to the score to the cinematography are so well done and so so mesmerizing and so haunting that it instantly it instantly for, makes me forgive those flaws and really appreciate like the film's message and tone altogether um with that you know it's it's a great i i think i definitely think it's a film that everybody should watch at least once because there's a lot of there's a lot of things you can talk about midsummer it's great midsummer is a great sensitive to the sight of blood though yeah <laughs> but i think i think this film um it's a great conversation starter like if you watch midsummer with like your friends or God forbid your girlfriend or boyfriend and you're just like, oh shit. I think, I think, has there been any statistics showing that how, how Midsummer has destroyed a lot of relationships? No. I feel like there must I've, be. I've seen a lot about Blue Valentine though. <laughs> I have to check now. But I feel like you can watch this with whoever and just have a very long conversation with after the fact um because there is a lot to talk about and you know while i think the main themes of this film are gaslighting and manipulation i've no i know other people have different interpretations of what the themes of the film are so it's very interesting to see how ari aster managed to make those 
points very open-ended for anybody to kind of take away with their own thoughts and opinions on this. And I think out of anything, that's the most successful thing that he did with this film. Because as an audience member, you want to take away with something of interest and something that's kind of unique from your takeaway. And I think Ari Aster did a fantastic job um, engaging that with the audience. What would you give it? Oh, fuck. That's right. Um, I hate giving, like, perfect ratings, so I'm going to give this a solid 9 out of 10. Um, I highly recommend it. Everybody should watch it at least once. You can watch it once, and if you hate it, you never have to watch it again, but at least you've watched it. And, yeah. Alright, so it's definitely a good thing you went for us, because I'm not going quite that high with mine. Um, the Like, I can definitely say, after Midsommar, I will see any film the dude makes, because I feel like him, Robert Eggers, Mike Flanagan all understand what true horror is and is able to just really get under my skin like again like Hereditary is definitely the more terrifying film but Midsummer tackles a lot of topics that personally just disturb me and just has such great imagery like I like Jordan Peele with Get Out and Us but neither of those films just disturbed me and just put imagery I'm never gonna forget like Midsummer did. I mm. like like if uh, I think it's definitely watching, especially if you're a Florence Pugh fan, just watch the movie for her. And watch the movie for Jack Rayner so you realize that Transformers Four just assures the fact that Michael Bay, everything he touches turns to eight. <laughs> big facts, big facts. But I, I would give Midsummer like a solid eight. I think it's I think it's very disturbing. I love the themes, I love the acting. Definitely could have been trimmed up and the dynamics between certain characters could have been more fleshed out. But I mean, I, I can't tell you the next time I'll, I'll watch this movie because like what you what Bodhi said, it's, it's I gotta be in a very specific mood for this one. There's there's a lot of films that I've watched, or there's a couple films that I've watched that's like you have to be in a mood. Ari Aster's, all of Ari Aster's films, you have to be in a mood. Yeah. The Revenant is a film you have to be in a mood for, because yep. after watching that, you'll feel so fucking depressed after it. You'll just be like, yeah. wow, I feel like Leonardo DiCaprio in the middle of the woods, <laughs> ready so to... tired after to, watching that movie. What's that? <laughs> after watching The Revenant, I just felt exhausted. Yeah, it's it's mentally and physically just exhausting to watch. Yeah. And that's kind of these films, except they're more like mentally and emotionally exhausting. Well, yeah. for me, The Revenant starts off with like them totally like giving me a really good hand job and then it gets then the immediate blue balls for like forty minutes and then it's like, Okay, we'll finish it off good. <laughs> that's the Revenant. Um. Alright, now that was our quick Revenant podcast. Now back to Midsummer. Um, but my closing remarks. Um, acting, phenomenal. Directing, phenomenal. Blocking, phenomenal. Cinematography, phenomenal. Score, phenomenal. Story and pace, lacking. Um, 
it, it was I wanted to love that movie and honestly the second time I went like when I went to go watch it again for this podcast I was like really just not feeling it like I was like I couldn't get myself to just hit the play button I did I got into the uh, the beginning and I was like oh shit this is good I forgot and then <laughs> and then it just dragged me through the mud for the rest of the time and you're just like um, oh shit this is not fun <laughs> yeah and it's like I after watching that first 11 minutes I was just like maybe this movie isn't as bad as I remember and I didn't maybe I'll, I'll like it a little bit more and I think I did like it a little bit more this time around rather than the since the first one mm-hmm. since the first viewing but it's still just like it's not a movie I think I'm ever going to be like ooh let's go watch Midsummer. like it's not like I have gone back and like ooh I want to watch Hereditary like that that's happened but I still think it's it's a very well done film in terms of technical aspects obviously um and whenever Ari Aster puts out another movie, I'm gonna go watch that as soon as possible. Like I'm probably gonna watch that opening day as well. I still he's an amazing filmmaker. It's just in my opinion, to me and how I view movies, that movie was a dropped ball. But I would rate it a I'd give it a Four point five out of ten. Oh, I thought you were gonna give it a five. Nah, I was thinking I was debating between four and five, and I was like, eh, I'll meet in the middle. All right. So, well, yeah. That's episode two of "You're Wrong, I'm Right." And Starring... Kevin is indeed wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, buddy. <laughs> we're. Um, So, we're going to be watching, I don't know, what what, are, what the fuck are we watching next? Days of Future Past is the next episode. Oh, yeah, that's right. Back oh, to another one that's going to be a bloodshed. About. Dude, I'm so excited for that episode. It's going to be a good one. Is that going to be a bloodshed? I'm not sure. I don't know. We'll find out. So will the audience. <laughs> we're all going to be surprised. Bum, bum, bum. Okay. Um, thank you for listening. This was... A short but sweet episode, I feel like. Um, I'll see you. We'll all see you whenever the next episode comes out. Take care, everybody. Bye.